All right, this, the scripture reading today comes from John chapter 20 and starting in verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. And at this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. She told them that he had said these things to her. And on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Have a seat. We are living in wild and uncharted times. 2023 will go down in history as the year the phenomenon of artificial intelligence broke into the mainstream. Two years ago, you were typing queries into Google like a cave person. <laughs> and today, the most unsolvable problem that you can imagine is child's play for ChatGPT. Our culture values progress. We want new ideas, new possibilities, advancements in science and technology. And underneath our appetite for new things is a belief system. Deep down, our society feels that progress is the path to happiness and freedom. Sure, there's a whole genre of entertainment called dystopian future that challenges that belief system. But no amount of movies starring Matt Damon or whoever will slow down the momentum of the progress machine. And now we're at the precise moment in time where technology's gotten so good that it's starting to take the wheel. So it's no surprise that from that sociocultural perspective in 2023, religion to many feels obsolete. To many in our world, to some in my own family, my entire life work is an ironic punchline. What do you say we have a chat about an event from ancient history? See, modern people are skeptical and indifferent about religion. Maybe even some of you invited here by a friend and you're thinking to yourself, look, man, I can tell you seem nice and sincere, but your ideas are too old. Haven't you heard? All of that stuff is just myth from a pre-scientific era. Institutional religion is a social invention to keep people in line. The weak-minded may need a moral compass, but now... We're evolving and we're changing and your religious dogmas are no longer relevant. And if that's you, you're totally entitled to your opinion. And yet here we are, <laughs> celebrating Easter, the day in history billions of people still believe Jesus conquered death. I don't have anything new to offer you. I have something ancient and sacred. The claim of Christianity is that Jesus proved God's power and love through the events at Easter. 
and he offers salvation and resurrection life for anyone who believes in his name. So you might be skeptical or indifferent, but for any true believer, there is breathtaking beauty in opening your heart to Christ that can never be replicated by the machine of progress. So let's have a chat about an event from ancient history. On Friday, Jesus endured the cross. He died a gruesome death. Listen back to last week's podcast if you missed it. But now on Sunday morning, according to the scriptures, Jesus is alive again. Come on. So C.S. Lewis is one of the great prolific authors of the 20th century. He wrote this, Christianity, if false, is of no importance, and if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. So in other words, if the claim is false, then Jesus was either sadly mistaken or he was lying. Either way, we all have to look somewhere else for truth. It's not him. But if the claim is true, then Jesus actually conquered death, and we can't dismiss him. We all answer to him. He's the savior. He's the true king. So are the events of Easter real or myth? Let's go there. What do you say? What do you say? Let's go there. All right, here we go. The kind of evidence that you need to verify history is what's called judicial proof. Scientific proof is something that you replicate in a lab. It doesn't work for history, obviously. For history, you look at the context, you look at the eyewitnesses and the other verifiable information and form a conclusion about what happened. This is how every court case is decided in the modern era, and it's also how we verify historical events. Now, in the case of Jesus rising from the dead, it should be extremely easy to establish reasonable doubt. If there's two things we know, everyone dies and dead people stay dead. So C.S. Lewis really backed himself into a corner on this one, if you ask me. And yet, there are irrefutable facts that back up the gospel narratives from scripture. Here are five facts that no serious historian, whether a Christian or non-Christian, denies. Number one, Jesus actually died on the cross. That's undeniable history. It happened, we know that. Number two, on Sunday, the tomb was actually empty. They buried him in Joseph's tomb. They knew exactly where that was. It was in Jerusalem, a really small city, geographically speaking. They knew exactly where to find him. And the people who killed him were extremely motivated to produce his body, and they couldn't. Number three, the first eyewitnesses of the risen Jesus were two women, a former prostitute, and most likely Jesus' mom. In first century culture, women were not considered reliable eyewitnesses. They couldn't testify in court, so no one would make up this story if they wanted it to sound credible. And every other theory for the resurrection says that the disciples knew that it was a made-up story and they lied about it for their whole lives. This is simply not the story that they would tell if they were making it up. Number four, the risen Jesus appeared to more than 500 people over 40 days. So the starting, startling grace and humility of Jesus is this. Jesus, when he rises from the dead, is not plotting a re revenge re-election campaign or taunting the ones who killed him. He actually appeared to women. He appeared to skeptics and doubters, to the people who were walking away from him. His motive is love, not vainglory. And number five, all of the apostles were willing to be killed for their testimony that Jesus was alive. They were all martyred. Right? The only one who wasn't was a guy named the Apostle John. They tried to kill him too, but it didn't take. So if 12 people make up a lie, how long until one of them caves under the threat of actual death? 
Not long, I imagine. You'd expect a few of them to lie, say it was a lie, even though it was true, if it meant being saved from torment and death. But they didn't. All of them were faithful to their message. Good news, the kingdom of God has arrived, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus rose from the dead and we saw him, right? And that message that they all maintained, even under threat of death and being martyred, their message was so powerful and disruptive that even Caesar was threatened (laughs) and killed them in order to stop it from spreading. Of course, that backfired too. So no one was ready or could really comprehend the power and beauty of God displayed at Easter. It changed the ancient world and it's still changing the world today, particularly in Asia and Latin America. Jesus isn't just some offbeat but beloved religious pacifist. He even said it himself, I am the resurrection and the life. I've conquered death and I've destroyed evil. Believe in me and you'll receive eternal life too. So I hope your conclusion is, wow, the historicity of the resurrection is surprisingly credible. (laughs) And it is. There's plenty more to back it up as well. But if you're not following Jesus, come back next week. We do this kind of stuff all the time. Next week, I'm going to lay it on you (laughs) with story after story of God's power moving in our midst from the prayer room. We did it, by the way, everybody. 40 days of nonstop prayer for Lent. So good. About a thousand hours of, of unbroken prayer in the prayer room right behind me. Next week, we're gonna be talking about and celebrating all that God did. So there's more, to, uh, there's more than historical evidence that bears witness to the Easter promise. The more compelling evidence is in the room all around you. Last summer, a woman named Megan was invited here by a friend, Natalie. But let's be honest, who hasn't been invited here by Natalie? <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure she's invited me a couple times. And she tr- uh, Megan trusted in Jesus very enthusiastically, which was amazing. So she started coming here, and her husband Tom and, and their kids started coming too. And at first, I think her husband was at least a little bit cautious, like this was a cult or something, possibly. Fair enough. Uh, but he just kept coming. And over time, he and I started having conversation about faith in Jesus. And it turns out he's this incredibly thoughtful guy with tons of great questions. And he wasn't just going to believe in Jesus on a whim because we serve artisanal pour-overs or something like that. But about a month ago, he and I met up in the prayer room and we were chatting about how he felt close, close to trusting in Jesus. But his hang-up was exactly what you and I are talking about right now, the resurrection. Can I actually believe that Jesus is alive? Now, if you're a serious Christian, you've explored and wrestled with this question 100 times over because it's a massive claim and it underpins our whole faith. So I gave him a few of the facts that I gave you and he thanked me but I could tell there was still some like dissatisfaction. Like those are compelling points, but can they support the weight of my whole belief system? Fair question. So we prayed and he left. A Couple days later, he came back to me and said, you know, I thought about it and I actually do believe. The things that you said were helpful, but the transformation I've seen in my wife over the last six months since she trusted in Jesus is so profound that it would be intellectually dishonest for me to deny that God's power is at work in my family. Yeah, dude basically wrote my Easter sermon for me. (laughs) The evidence that Jesus, Jesus conquered death is all around you and people who've been transformed by trusting in him. 
2 Corinthians uh, is this letter, and a church planter named Paul makes this point that the testimony of the people at the church of Corinth were his resume and letter of recommendation. He says, you yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You know that you're a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. So if you follow Jesus, the victory of Jesus has been written onto your heart and your life is a testimony of his resurrection power. Don't discount that, hide that, downplay him. If you are a new creation, expect it to make waves. Expect it to influence others. For example, there's another young man here at Riverbend. This time last year, he was addicted to fentanyl. and He was overdosing quite regularly. I was told, or I am told, that that is a death sentence. Six months ago, he came to a Riverbend at night gathering because church was a part of his re- recovery program. A couple weeks later, he believed because of the love of Jesus that he felt from some of you. And today, he's a completely changed man trust him like he's my brother. Two weeks ago, I interrupted him at midnight, leading someone to faith in the prayer room. I have been trying to talk Christians into prayer for 17 years. How he talked a non-Christian into the prayer room at midnight on a Tuesday, I will never know. But I do know this, when Jesus gives you eternal life, you're transformed. And that's Cole's story. And we need this kind of paradigm for resurrection hope because life is still filled with all kinds of trouble and pain, and there's hope for us in the resurrection story through all of that too. This week I was uh, driving my kids to school, and we were in the drop-off line, and it's kind of chaotic with lots of cars and kids everywhere. Meanwhile, my son Judah, who's five years old, he's in the back seat, uh, and he was like trying to unbuckle his seatbelt, but for whatever reason, he couldn't get it, and so he was just getting more and more frustrated until he said, he yelled this out loud, he goes, Why is everything so hard? (laughs) And my first thought was, buddy, it only gets worse from here, man. (laughs) Thankfully, I didn't say that. The second thought I had was, because I'm an incurable human being, uh, was he needs a better theology of pain and suffering. I'm not trying to raise a snowflake here. I'm raising a resilient disciple of Jesus. Thankfully, I didn't say that either. Um, I just took a breath. And I helped him unbuckle. But his question is a spiritual one. Judah is discovering what we know all too well. Life is hard. Life is filled with complexity and pain. We don't always get the dream job. Sometimes people badly mistreat us. Sometimes the ones we love get cancer. Sometimes we're headed into a recession. Because we're human, we need some way of coping and dealing with brokenness in life. And the promise of progress only gets us so far. Progress says, don't worry, Judah. Count on human innovation. We're gonna make the seatbelt better. One day you won't even need one. That answer is incomplete for two reasons. Number one, for every problem that technology solves, it opens up another problem in the form of unintended consequence. Just ask any sociologist about the advent of social media and its impact on mental health in modern culture. Yes, we're more connected, but at what cost? Number two, Judah isn't losing his mind over a button that won't click. There's a deeper existential complaint at the heart of that question, why is everything so hard? 
As a species right now, we're lamenting the reality that even when our tech is working perfectly, there's still profound brokenness in the world. And it's not just outside of us. The brokenness is inside of us. And there are some doors that even artificial intelligence will never be able to open up for you. The solution that you're, look, you're craving is not pragmatic. The solution you're craving is a savior who will relate to you. We need to be loved. We need someone to deal with our sin and heal us. We need someone to show us the way to truly live. Promise us to, that we're never going to be alone. We need someone to show us grace when we fail. And deep down, we want that resurrection life. We want that hope for a better future. And those longings are satisfied ultimately in Jesus. And he makes them possible through conquering death. Philip Yancey writes, the resurrection and its victory over death brought a decisive new word to the vocabulary of pain and suffering. Temporary. Jesus Christ holds out the startling, startling promise of an afterlife without pain. Whatever anguish we feel now will not last. It's good news for Judah, for you too. It's okay to hope, not an innovation or progress. Those are doors that keep, keep opening up new rooms with more problems without ever solving the deepest ache of your heart. But take it from us, it's safe to trust in Jesus. He's the door to resurrection life. We've tasted it, we've seen it. He's breathtakingly good. Hope in him will not disappoint. Will you stand with me? On the first Easter Sunday, there's a man uh, named Thomas. He was one of the 12 and he was the last holdout. He wasn't there the first time that Jesus appeared to them and he couldn't believe the other disciples just at their word alone. So Jesus knew that Thomas had doubt and he appeared to him too. So after Thomas saw Jesus' wounds from the cross, what ended up happening is what happened to the rest of them. His faith overtook his doubt. John 20 says that he shouted, my Lord and my God. The next line says this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Mashiach, the Son of God, that by believing you may have life in his name. And for some of you, you're just in that similar place as Thomas or one of the people that I referenced earlier who trusted in Jesus recently. And when you look at the scripture, the historical data, the evidence from transformed life around you, you realize it's actually requiring more faith to disbelieve at this point than it does to believe that Jesus is Lord. And all you need to do to experience resurrection life is to confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. That's what the scripture promises. So whether you've been trusting in Jesus for the last 50 years or whether this moment 
represents the beginning of your life of faith. Let's all tell Jesus, like Thomas, he's Lord and God. We confess with our mouths, we believe in our hearts. So we're gonna tell him that we trust him. We're gonna do that through our prayers here in a moment and in the singing, the lyrics of the songs that we're about to sing. Though Christ was dead, now surely he's risen, yeah. He's coming back. This is our prayer. So I just want to encourage you, anyone who already trusts in Jesus or someone who needs to trust in Jesus right now, realize that your doubts are, are, are causing more faith than faith itself in Him. And in response, we come before you, Jesus startled at the reality that you conquered death and disbelief that it's possible dead people stay dead and yet here you are risen alive again and we need the hope that the resurrection brings and when we trust in it it's more than just an ascent to intellectual faith it's actually a transformative process where we experience in our lives the reality of your deep love so i pray for my friends we respond in faith in jesus name amen so the team is going to lead us in another song a couple more songs actually and as we sing make this song your response to him believe trust in him hope in him come forward also to receive the bread and cup we'll take it together as a church in a minute and if you're trusting in Jesus for the first time, we would love to walk you through that, chat with you, talk you through what your new life in Jesus means. But let's not hold back our praise.